I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Norrie with Sean Patrick Heslett. Sean, how would you envision a war with China unfolding? What would happen? So, you've already, I've already mentioned two items that you're starting to see. So, rhetoric would amp up prior to these elections, and we talked about that a little bit. There's also the uh, aggressive and pre- persistent reconnaissance. We talked about the spy balloons flying over, you're likely to see more of that. Then you would see something that the Chinese would declare as a military exercise, much like they did back in 2022 when Nancy Pelosi visited the island, or Congresswoman Pelosi. And so it'll start out as a military exercise that unfolds into a blockade. And that's significant because Taiwan imports nearly 97% of its energy, so it'll be particularly vulnerable mm-hmm. to that. And only in, in, in the China Sea? Uh, yeah, just around Taiwan. So they would just put a ring, like a literal ring around Taiwan on both the western coast and the eastern coast. And Taiwan only has about 200 days of stockpiles of gas, coal, and oil. So that's kind of how it would unfold. And then the Chinese might have a sort of a gulf of Tonkin-style ruse that would likely set things off. So like a Chinese fishing vessel, um, you know, gets targeted in some sort of a false flag. The immediate response, of course, of the United States would have, uh, you know, assets in the region would probably send several uh, aircraft carrier battle groups to the region. But you would almost immediately see a a Chinese cyber campaign that would attack West Coast infrastructure. So usually these things, cyber attacks, are incremental because, you know, you don't want to wipe out the U.S. grid and, and cause a nuclear war in response, right? Right. So, so what has been observed, there was a report in the Washington Post recently that there was a campaign that was discovered called Volt Typhoon that was detected a year ago by the U.S. government. And in it, the Chinese appeared to have selected targets that would have 
would likely complicate a U.S. response to an invasion of Taiwan. So you're talking electric utilities in Hawaii, uh, telecommunications in Guam, which is the closest U.S. territory to the Taiwan Strait, and other similar targets that would, you know, vastly complicate a U.S. response. Then there's also the possibility that you would see some industrial sabotage in the United States. So just to give you another data point, in the last year, more than 24,000 Chinese citizens have crossed the border from Mexico, more than in the preceding 10 years combined. Now, many of these people are simply looking for a better life in America, but a small minority could easily be potential saboteurs activated in the case of a Taiwan invasion. Sleeper cells. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm not saying they are, but, but, you know, I would be surprised if the Chinese didn't have that capability. And do we have that? Do we have that there? uh, Oh, well, well, in Taiwan, we would certainly have, um, you know, people there that would be able to advise and we'd be able to send special forces almost immediately if they're not already there. I'm sure there's some, you know, CIA personnel and things like that. Now, if you're talking in China, um, the answer would very likely be yes as well, but that would only come into play if the crisis expanded beyond that kind of limited focus on Taiwan where things, you know, have, have the potential to spiral out of control. But what would happen after that, like once, you know, when we really know that the Chinese uh, were intent on seizing the island, you would see missile attacks on high-value targets on Formosa, the main Taiwanese island. China has about 600 ballistic and or cruise missile launchers. Now, they're not all opposite the strait, but a great deal of them are. And what that does is, you know, could cause chaos, destroy targets that they would need to take out. Then you would also likely have covert infiltration of Formosa by operatives, you know, and this is just an example of, for instance, hiding in shipping containers. Uh, if you look at a kind of a classic uh, shipping container ship, it would take about 30 hours to, to traverse the strait. So yeah. I would imagine some of those individuals would already, I mean, and I'm sure China already has assets on the island, just like we already have assets in China. And then the focus after that would be on the seizure of approximately 20 key beaches and landings, landing zones. So the thing that makes Taiwan very difficult uh, to take, in addition to crossing the strait and dealing with the maritime issues you have with large waves and, and getting your infrastructure onto the island, is it's also very mountainous terrain. So the Chinese would have to seize some targets from the inside, also bribe politi- key politicians and things like that, which they already do, right? They fly them to mainland China and they do all sorts of things to um, to sweeten the pot. So whether or not that plays out, it, it all depends. But it's a matter of time. If China is able to seize the island before we're able to reinforce it, then things things get increasingly bad for the United States. Could detente work at all, Sean? Uh, well, I don't think either side has been the best of actors. Right. I mean, we do things that kind of put egg in. For instance, like the the United States did not do a good job of diversifying its risk by concentrating the majority of the world's semiconductors. And this is not just a policy issue, but it's, you know, U.S. led companies and, and things like that. So it just makes us particularly vulnerable. The other thing that the Chinese have done is they've engaged in what is termed gray zone warfare, where they 
you go just up to the line of what is considered an act of war and then stop. So if you take their bases and assets in the Spratly Islands, for instance, in the South China Sea, that's a perfect example of some of the things that they've been doing. And that's kind of how this thing would kick off. They would, you know, like I said, treat it as if they were running a, a, a naval exercise, and then by the time all their assets are in place, then, you know, the then the war would kick off. So, you know, could they be talked down? Yeah, I'm sure at the very beginning of the episode, right, there would be feverish diplomatic discussions and things like that. But just like hap- what happened in Russia, Ukraine, right, once you put that many assets in place, you're committed, right? We did. We had the same sort of diplomatic activity with Russia before they invaded Ukraine. And once Putin had 150,000 troops in place, right, it's just kind of like the trains in World War One. They're already set to go, and there's really no 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 holding back or or reversing the the course of history. Tell us about Taiwan. Prior to World War II, when Japan took it over, well, at the time it wasn't populated by uh, you know, Chiang Kai-shek's forces, right? That were that fled after World War II when Mao took over China. So it was a completely different sort of situation where, and they were they had less ability to defend themselves, right? So they weren't armed by the United States government over the last several decades. They weren't trained by the United States government, at least not in appreciable numbers. So, you know, there's a fundamental difference between what Taiwan is today and what it was back then. Does China believe it's theirs? Absolutely. In fact, Xi's comments at the beginning of the year just said that reunification is inevitable. And we haven't helped matters by pursuing a policy of strategic ambiguity, right? So Taiwan doesn't have a slot at the United Nations, right? Um, You know, our current president has openly said that we would defend Taiwan if attacked, which, by the way, I think is an honest answer, right? But before that, there was always this you know, not fear, but this policy of strategic ambiguity where we didn't overtly say or recognize Taiwan, at least overtly, as an independent nation. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., 
I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are we on the verge of a World War III? We look at Russia and Ukraine. We look at Israel and its situation. All we need now is China to get involved in Taiwan. And we've got uh, we've got World War III here, Sean. Yeah, I think that's part of their calculus there being the Chinese, which is if they in, ever intend to seize uh, Taiwan by force, next year is the, kind of the golden year for them. And, you know, if you'll recall, at least in, I think, last year, their population started to decline, and their population's not getting any younger. Right. I believe, that, you know, by, you know, over the, over the decades, increasingly becoming an older population. So they're going to have you know, an issue where they're not going to be able to supply the soldiers in appreciable numbers in the next decade or so. So if Xi wants to kind of exercise this option, next year is probably the best year to do it. Does Taiwan have any assets to defend itself? Yeah, sure, sure. It's got, uh, you know, some modern aircraft, uh, not as many as the Chinese. It has about 169,000 troops. Uh, and there are, you know, they're going to, they also have, you know, tunnels in the mountains that are robust and can be defended. Um, most of their air assets are going to be on the eastern side of the island, which is separated by mountains. And, you know, because traditionally they expected the Chinese to come in on the western side of the island. But that, you know, if you look at recent naval exercises, that isn't necessarily 
the case. So they have plenty of modern weapons, but the problem with the Chinese is they just have uh, superior numbers. Now, what the, what the Taiwanese have is they have really rugged, rough terrain. They have a very narrow window through which the Chinese can attack. And they have us over the horizon that's willing to come to their defense. But if the Chinese do it quick, things get really difficult for us. It's intriguing, no doubt. The whole thing is intriguing. And in terms of China's moves first, as a chess piece on a board, who will it, what would they do first? Try to attack Taiwan, or what would they do? So they're likely to start with a naval exercise, right, to make it look like it's inert and it's, there's no threat. And then as they get all their assets in place, then you have like a Gulf of Tonkin sort of scenario where, you know, they claim that the Taiwanese fired on one of their vessels. And then things start to escalate. That's when there's feverish diplomacy. And once I think the Chinese assets are in place and they begin the attack, which is with kind of these missile strikes and, um, you know, saboteurs inside, uh, you know, Taiwan, Formosa proper, then I think that the, diplomatic phase ends, and then hopefully someone in the decision-making loop in the United States had already sent carriers the instant that they had these military exercises. But it's, you know, it's going to be classic gray zone warfare, right? They're just going to kind of come to the very edge and make it look ambiguous enough that we hesitate. If the Taiwanese had a chance to vote on China being their country, how do you think that vote would go? Uh, they, they would vote in favor of not going to the Chinese. I think the last survey I've seen was, I think, 80, 86 to 87 percent. So it's huge. Um, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. After after what the Chinese did with Taiwan or with uh, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, yeah. There's not a huge willingness for the Taiwanese to reunite with the Chinese. Is Hong Kong a little more stable now than it was a few years ago? Sure, but that's after you know, the Chinese cracked down uh, and kind of restricted speech and um, you know kind of got control of the political apparatus of power. So it's more stable, but it's more stable because there's more uh, Chinese control of the situation. Is this all about greed, Sean? I think it's about pride in terms from the Chinese side. Right. I think the Chinese, you know, historically for, you know, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, Taiwan has been part of China. And I think this is, you know, like Putin and Ukraine, Xi looks at this as his legacy. And Xi, by the way, is the first person since Mao that has a third five year term. So I think this is something and he's publicly stated that he intends to have Taiwan reunited with China by 2049. So, like I said, if he chooses to take the aggressive route, this is the time. What does your gut tell you? My gut tells me that if we start seeing, um, you know, increased activity, surveillance, and the DPP wins the election, I'd give it 
a 40 to 50% chance that Xi goes in. Now, Donald Trump has always said it wouldn't happen under his administration. What do you think of that? I think that, I think that's true, but I don't think that's... Uh, but I think it's because he tended to be a wild card, right? So any long-standing U.S. policy that we had followed for, you know, the last 60 years, with Trump it was all... <laughs> You know, it was all it was all up to chance, right? So, for instance, I don't think the Chinese were expecting a tariff, right? When when Donald Trump was there, and um, the Biden administration has continued to kind of increase or to increase the distance between the United States and China. There just seems to be a a change in overall policy because you know if you look at this Thucydides trap. Right when you had the emergence of Athens in the Peloponnesian Wars against the dominant power at the time, Sparta, these things tend to happen when you have a rising power. The incumbent power um, has to help or has to manage this rise. And it's almost as if the Chinese rise, while initially was beneficial to both parties, is now seeming to be a little bit more unstable than many policymakers had had initially thought. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.